mystery of the Essex Ring. In February 1603, the ailing Elizabeth I was called to the deathbed of her cousin, Catherine, Countess of Nottingham. The Queen was already deeply depressed at the approaching second anniversary of the execution of her popular favourite, Robert Deverux, second Earl of Essex. She was grief-struck that she was now to lose the granddaughter of her mother's sister, Mary Boleyn. But her beloved cousin was about to make a confession that would destroy the deep affection that had always existed between them. From her bed, the Countess reminded Elizabeth that she had once given Essex a ring, saying that if he ever needed her help or protection, that he should send it to her and it would be forthcoming. In the tower, under sentence of death for treason, Essex had given this ring to a boy to carry to the Countess's sister, Lady Scrope. The Countess's brother-in-law had defended Essex to the Queen against his accusers for longer than almost anyone. The ring was a plea for mercy. But the boy took the ring to the Countess instead, and her husband was an enemy of Essex. They had kept it, and so the execution had gone ahead. Having seen Elizabeth's unhappiness after Essex's death, the Countess now wanted the Queen to know the truth, and she begged for forgiveness. Elizabeth's response was to shake her cousin by the shoulders and cry, God may forgive you, but I never can. This, at least, was a tradition that emerged during the reign of Elizabeth's Stuart successor, King James, after her death only a month later. A 17th century ring, now held in Westminster Abbey Museum, is said to have been the very gift Elizabeth gave to the Earl. It was passed down in the family line, from Essex's daughter, Frances Countess of Hertford, to her descendants in the Thin family, headed by the Marquess of Bath, and was sold in 1911. Gold, with a sardonyx cameo bust of the Queen, who wears an auburn wig, the inside of the ring is enamelled with forget-me-nots. It appears to have been made for a female finger, perhaps for the Queen, and to have been subsequently enlarged, perhaps for the Earl. For many decades, it was fixed on a mount on the side of Elizabeth's tomb, a reminder of the tragic story that ended with her tearful last weeks in 1603. But what is true and what is legend in the story of the Essex Ring? The answers might surprise you, and the facts are far more fascinating than the fiction. I am the historian Leander Delisle, uncovering the Tudors and Stuarts behind the myths. The true story begins in the year of the Armada, 1588, on the death of Elizabeth's great love, Robert Dudley, Earl of Leicester. With the passing of her sweet Robin, a new favourite emerged, his stepson, the glamorous soldier courtier, Robert Deverux, second Earl of Essex. Ten years later, England was impoverished by the continuing war with Spain. Elizabeth and her leading minister, Robert Cecil, wanted peace. Essex, the hero of the war, wanted to fight on and was growing impatient with serving an old woman. By 1601, 
Elizabeth was cutting him off from royal favour, and Essex decided he would rather see her heir, James Stuart, on the throne. On the evening of 7th February 1601, a group of Essex's inner circle of friends paid the Lord Chamberlain's players 40 shillings to perform William Shakespeare's play of the deposing and killing of that king, Richard II. As the play unfolded, the character of John of Gaunt bemoaned an England that had been allowed to go to rack and ruin. This sceptred isle, this precious stone set in the silver sea, this earth, this realm, this England, was now leased out and bound in with shame. The audience of swordsmen in silk and lace were ready to right such wrongs, with the play signalling the launch of a coup. The following day, Essex marched from Ludgate to St Paul's with 300 of his young followers. All Essex needed was the people to rally to his call and the last of the Tudors would be overthrown. He had always been careful to nurture popular support. But Londoners, whom Elizabeth had wooed since her smiling appearance during her coronation in January 1559, remained loyal to their queen. As Essex had marched down the streets with his followers, they had merely gaped at his swordsmen and marvelled that they could come out in that sort in a civil government and on a Sunday. Within a fortnight of Essex's surrender, Elizabeth had signed his death warrant. But that was not to be the end of her former favourite. In death, he became the hero he'd never quite managed to be in life. The scandal of the condition of England had not changed, and Robert Cecil, the devil as he was known, was still in place. People hoped Elizabeth would now remember Essex's complaints and ballads romanticising Essex were sung even at court and despite his traitor's death. Elizabeth's health and spirits deteriorated, and she began to believe she had lost the love of the people. That summer, she told the French ambassador that she might have spared Essex's life if he had asked her to do so. His arrogance was his downfall. A year later, she admitted to the ambassador that she was weary of life, and wept over Essex's death. He had been all that she had left of the man she had loved as a young queen, yet Essex had betrayed her. Elizabeth's godson, Sir John Harrington, was shocked when he saw the queen at Whitehall for Christmas 1602. She was sipping from a golden cup to soothe her sore throat and could only speak in a whisper. She confessed she was eating little, and when Essex's name came up, she cried bitter tears and struck her breast repeatedly. On 25th February, the second anniversary of Essex's execution, Elizabeth disappeared to her chambers in Richmond Palace. Her beloved cousin, Catherine, Countess of Nottingham, had died the previous day at her home at Arundel House. It was not possible for Elizabeth, who was already ill, to have seen the Countess on her deathbed, as was described in the legend. It was days before Elizabeth appeared in public again, and when she did, the grieving queen was described as in such a deep melancholy that she must die herself. A month later, she did so, March 24, 1603. In the following days, the countess's daughter, Lady Kildare, told a royal chaplain that before Elizabeth had died, 
she had replaced her coronation ring, which had been cut off from her swollen finger, with a ring that the Earl of Essex gave her. Is this the ring in the Abbey Museum? Or was Lady Kildare simply inventing a story designed to appeal to Essex's family and supporters, who would be shown favour by the new King James? Indeed, King James was soon referring to Essex as his martyr. Yet it was not long before Essex's former followers and relatives began to oppose aspects of the new Stuart rule. Elizabeth, the old queen that Essex had despised, came to be remembered as a great ruler, and the glorification of her memory was a means of criticising her successor. It became all the more important that Essex's treason was forgotten and replaced with the myth that he was only the victim of his hated enemies. Essex's daughter, Frances, became the keeper of the flame when it came to his heroic memory. She was only a small child when he died, but she later married another opponent of the Stuarts, William Seymour, Earl of Hertford. Their home was hung with portraits of his great-aunt, the Nine Days Queen, Lady Jane Grey, who had been executed by Mary I and was regarded as a Protestant martyr, and of his grandmother, Lady Catherine Grey, who had died imprisoned by Elizabeth I because the Queen perceived her to be a rival. There were also portraits of Hertford's first wife, Lady Arbella Stuart, who had died imprisoned by James I, also for marrying without the King's permission. Frances, meanwhile, not only had the so-called Essex ring, she also kept a lock of her father's hair, cut from his head after his execution as a relic. There is a Van Dyke portrait of her wearing it, painted in around 1640, when her husband was deeply involved in the opposition to King James's son, Charles I. Two earrings, set with locks of Essex's hair, survive at Ham House. Like the ring, they were used as reminders of royal injustice and to appeal to popular support for opponents of royal power, be it Tudor or Stuart. If Essex had succeeded in raising London in 1601, Elizabeth would not have survived. She knew that. To have the Essex ring attached to her tomb in 1911 must have had the Queen spinning in her grave. If you would like to know anything more about Essex, Queen Elizabeth, Francis Deverux and Charles I, you may enjoy my books, details of which are to be found on my website, leanderdelisle.com, or you can always contact me on Facebook and Twitter.